Good news is breaking on COVID, but nobody wants to hear it. Vice President Joe Biden struggles to find his vice president, and a football coach is forced to apologize for decrying a racial slur. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your data from prying eyes at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Have you noticed that things are a little bit volatile? I mean, volatile politically, volatile economically, just volatile. Well, you may have thought about this months ago. And if you were smart, what you did is you diversified at least a little bit into precious metals. If you were not smart, then you did not. Well, now would be a great time for you to think about doing that again, because things are only going to get more volatile over the coming years, given that we just spent more money than has ever been created by man or God. I've been telling you since 2016 to invest at least a little bit in gold and to invest in gold with Birch Gold. That was way back when gold was 1300 bucks an ounce. Just look now, gold is at a new all-time high. Why? Well, gold and silver thrive on uncertainty. Well, massive unemployment, resurgence in COVID-19, a huge election around the corner. That would be the recipe for uncertainty. So if you haven't reached out to Birch Gold to diversify part of your IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA or just get some physical gold or silver from Birch Gold, do it today. Text Ben to 474747. Get a free information kit on protecting your savings with gold. Listen, I trust Birch Gold. They're the people that I trust with my own precious metals investing. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Countless five-star reviews. Talk to them. Have them help you safeguard your, your investments. They're extremely knowledgeable. They want to help you protect your savings. Ask all of your questions, feel secure, and then invest at least a little bit into precious metals. Text Ben to 474747. When you open an IRA in precious metals before August 30th, you'll be the first to get a signed copy of my new book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps for free. Again, text Ben to 474747. Text my name, Ben, to 474747 to get started. Okay, so one of the bizarro world situations that we are now in, encountering is that there's actually some good news on COVID. Like there's actually some good news on COVID. So what is that good news on COVID? Well, there's a study that is now published in Science Magazine, and it suggests that T-cell immunity is a thing. So there's been a lot of discussion about how you reach herd immunity with this disease. Does this disease hit herd immunity at 50% of the population, 70% of the population? If it takes all the way till 70% of the population, then you're talking about you know maybe millions dead over the course of time in the United States. But what we have seen in places like New York and places like Sweden, and what we are seeing now in Florida and Texas and California, is that once the virus kind of works its way through a community, it doesn't have to hit 70% of the community. It only has to hit more like 20 or 25% of a community in order for the curve to start bending down. And folks have been wondering about this. They've been wondering, why is that? Well, one of the going theories has been that there are an enormous number of people who are just not hit hard by this virus, who are either asymptomatic or don't get it in the first place because they have something called T-cell immunity, meaning that their body has these things called T-cells, and these T-cells have already learned how to deal with coronaviruses. And coronaviruses would include like the common cold. So if you've had a common cold in the last two or three years, then your body has already learned how to fight off possibly COVID-19 is sort of the going theory. Well, now there's an abstract from a study that is in Science Magazine, August 4th, 2020. And they say, many unknowns exist about human immune responses to the COVID-19 virus. COVID-19 reactive CD4 T cells have been reported in unexposed individuals, suggesting pre-existing cross-reactive T cell memory in 20 to 50% of people. Right, meaning that maybe half the population already has some sort of pre-existing ability on an immune level to push back against COVID-19. The source of the T-cells has been speculative. Using human blood samples derived before the COVID-19 virus was discovered in 2019, they mapped 142 T-cell epitopes across the SARS-CoV-2 genome, SARS-CoV-2 is COVID-19, to facilitate precise interrogation of T-cell repertoire. We demonstrate a range of pre-existing CD4 T-cells that are cross-reactive with comparable affinity 
to COVID-19 and common cold coronaviruses. Thus, variegated T-cell memory to coronaviruses that cause the common cold may underlie at least some of the extensive heterogeneity observed in COVID-19 disease. So this answers why some people are getting crushed by it and some people are just having like a mild cold and then basically being done. That's actual good news, okay? That means that a huge swath of the population already has some pre-existing level of immunity to this virus, which is excellent, excellent news. And we have more excellent news. It now turns out that the numbers in terms of COVID-19 cases have been declining markedly, like seriously markedly, in Florida, in Texas, in Arizona. The Sun Belt, the surge is over. The surge is over. Now, there's talk about maybe a second surge in the winter, but that always presupposed that this thing would sort of die out in the summer because of the heat. And then when everybody was out, was, was in the cold, then then people would be sort of in, in their in their offices, and then the heating systems would move this thing around. It turned out that sort of precisely the reverse happened. In order for the virus to be killed off by the heat, you have to be out in the heat, right? So it is, it is certainly possible, and there's good data to suggest that in areas that don't have air conditioning, that heat is killing the virus. But precisely the reverse has been happening in the Sun Belt. Why? Well, when it's hot outside in a first world country like the United States, everybody's got central air, everybody's in the office, the air is circulating. And so you actually ended up with a surge during the summer because people were not in the heat. So in 1918, right, with the influenza, with the influenza pandemic, well, the flu pandemic was a different story. There was no air conditioning in 1918. It was very, it was reserved for super rich people. That meant that everybody was basically in the heat all the time and the heat was killing this thing. Well, now that you live in a modern society with central air conditioning, when it's really hot outside, what do you do? You go inside. When you go inside, all of the virus gets blown around and then you get an uptick. Well, the uptick is over in Florida. It is up to, the uptick is over in Texas. It is over in Arizona. And it may, in fact, have peaked already in California. According to NPR, officials in Florida say cases of coronavirus are continuing to decline, an indication that that efforts to halt the spread of the disease are working. Now, this is the part where media, I just, I don't think that the media are being responsible about this. I don't. There's this idea that it was government intervention that is preventing the spread of the disease again, that everything was going wildly haywire, and then everybody stepped in and shut down societies again, and the lockdowns crushed the curve again. That is not right. Look at the timeline. Okay, Florida really only began to, to crack down on particular activity about a week and a half ago. Okay, and the cases started to decline last week. That is not enough of a delay. If you actually want if you actually want to see when the cases began to decline, the answer is once it started burning through the community. Same thing in Arizona, same thing in Texas. California never really opened, and California saw a surge, and then it saw a decline. It was not the renewed lockdown that caused a, a decline in California. So the media have this, this pre-prepped narrative that it is lockdown that, that slows the spread. But that's not what happened in New York. Lockdown didn't slow the spread. In fact, lockdown may have exacerbated the spread because everybody who already had the virus was then locked in their house with their elderly family members. Miami-Dade County has been responsible for 25% of the state's nearly 500,000 coronavirus cases. According to the mayor, Mayor Carlos Jimenez, he told commissioners that hospitalizations have been trending downward in the county for two weeks. For two weeks. Okay, listen to that. Hospitalizations have been trending downward for two weeks. Okay, I was in Florida until a couple of weeks ago. Everything was, was pretty much open. Right? They only shut down indoor dining. They had, they had socially distanced indoor dining. They only shut that down like the last couple of days I was there. Right around the time I was leaving, that is when the, the hospitalization started to decline. So it is not because they shut down the indoor dining that the hospitalization started to decline. The hospitalization started to decline before they shut down the indoor dining. By the way, the same thing is true in New York about mask wearing. So people keep saying, well, the mask wearing is what crushed the curve in New York. That is not correct. Look at the timeline. The curve already started to flatten before people started putting on the masks. Now, it's not a case against the masks. It's not a case against social distancing. It is a case that really the only thing that you can do with the virus is basically wait for it to burn through. That's pretty much all we know at this point. Slight delays may help in terms of 
allowing hospitals to better cope with this stuff. Hospitals have gotten a lot better at dealing with COVID-19. People are not dying in nearly the numbers they were. But the, the, the notion that it is the renewed lockdown that started all of this, that's just not correct. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said, I think the trend is positive. I think we're going to continue to see the prevalence decline. DeSantis spoke in Jacksonville. He held a roundtable with advocates for the elderly and administration officials to examine ways to open nursing homes for family member visits. DeSantis said he wants to begin allowing people who test positive for antibodies to visit family members in long-term care facilities. He's appointed of a committee of advocates and officials to look at other members to allow family members to visit nursing homes, which, by the way, would be a good thing. I mean, I have a couple of family members in nursing homes, and they're basically isolated. It's a terrible life. They've basically been locked indoors for four months without the ability to see other people. And if people have antibodies and they want to go visit grandma in the nursing home, that seems like good policy to me. So this is good news. Okay, we should be like right now. Yes, the death numbers on a day by day basis are not great because death is a lagging indicator. But we should be pointing out what we should be excited about is the fact that there was a sunbelt surge. It did not overwhelm the hospital system. And now it is going down again. And we should be pretty excited by the fact that the caseload was extraordinarily high in these states. And the death toll was actually not all that high in these states. I know there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the evils of Florida and the evils of Arizona and the evils of of Texas. We never talk about the evils of California, of course, because California is a Democrat governed state. But if you still want to look like they experienced their surges. okay, Florida had its surge. Texas had its surge. Arizona had its surge. I'm now looking at the list of states in the United States deaths per one million population. Florida does not rank in the top 15. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 15, 16, 17, 18. Florida ranks 19th in deaths per million. 19th. Okay, for all the talk about how Florida was going to get wiped out. And by the way, Florida would have had every excuse to get wiped out considering the fact that it is disproportionately the oldest state in the union. A huge retiree population in Florida. But contrast Florida's death per million rate at 345 to New Jersey's at 1,793 or New York's at 1,686 or Massachusetts at 1,256 or Connecticut at 1,245. Florida is ranked 19th. Okay, Arizona is ranked like 13th. Georgia is ranked maybe 15th. Okay, so for all the talk about these Sunbelt states that, that totally blew it, they didn't. They didn't. Okay, Texas is not ranked in the top 20. Texas is ranked like 27th. It's, it's ranked about the same as California, actually. So the, the this is all good news, right? What we should be rooting for is once people have experienced the curve, then that's the end of the curve. And in fact, this has become... The going conventional wisdom. So I know that you've been told that the experts are for lockdown. The experts want lockdown. They want masks and they want lockdown and they want heavy government hands. They want the, now let's be real about this. There are no experts on a brand new pandemic. There aren't. There are people who know a little bit more and people who know a little bit less. And there's a lot of controversy in the scientific field over virtually every aspect of COVID-19, including mask wearing. As I've said before, Holland does not mandate mask wearing. They don't think it's useful. Denmark does not mandate mask wearing. They don't think it's useful. Sweden does not do it. Netherlands does not do it. Right? None, none of these places do it. Okay, but I've said, you know, out of an abundance of caution, if you want to go to a public place where you're near other people, wear a mask. My parents are wearing a mask when they are around my children because my children are back at camp. But there's also been this kind of going notion in the media that that lockdowns are the best possible tactic. Dr. David Nabarro, who is one of the ambassadors from the WHO, he said we actually should try to avoid lockdowns at all costs. So this is now conventional wisdom. Well, we would, in the World Health Organization, invite countries to do everything possible not to have these complete lockdowns. It's a very blunt tool. That's why we've said right from the beginning that the way you deal with this kind of disease 
is through having a really good strategy for finding people with the disease, testing them quickly and getting the results to them fast, tracing their contacts, doing the isolation properly and supporting people, as you've just said, who are particularly vulnerable. Okay, but testing and tracing is not really relevant in a country of 330 million people with probably 20 million infections running wild at this point. So the real answer is you protect the vulnerable and everybody else goes back to work. That really is the answer here. Okay, that's that's just what it's that's going to be what it's going to be. And the good news is it doesn't have to burn through 70 percent of the population, according to the new data. Basically, T-cell immunity means that a huge percentage of the population is not particularly vulnerable to COVID-19. So President Trump said just this yesterday, he said, we now have a better understanding of the virus and we are not pushing national shutdowns. It's not something that we're going to do. So we closed it down and we're now opening it up and it looks like it's a V. It's absolutely a V. But we're not going back to shutdowns now. We understand the disease. We understand uh, the problems with elderly, especially elderly with heart or diabetes uh, or other problems. And we're able to take care of them. We understand it now, but we're not shutting down. We've done uh, really very well. The numbers are looking very good, by the way, in Florida, Texas and California. They're heading down. He is correct about this. He is correct. And so the media have immediately shifted to their latest spin, which is that everybody in the Midwest is going to die. No, not everybody in the Midwest is going to die. There's going to be a surge in areas where there has not been a surge and there will be some death because whenever there is a surge in disease, there is some death. But it is not going to look like New York. It is not going to look like New Jersey. Hospitals have gotten better at this. It is not going to overwhelm the system. I'm predicting that right now, right here. Okay, you're not going to see an extraordinary surge in death. You're not going to see 12 New Yorks as people were predicting like two weeks ago. Okay, so why isn't that good news? Why aren't we celebrating that? That would be a good thing, right? Why, why, why aren't Americans happy about this? Instead, Americans seem determined, many Americans, and particularly in the media and the Democratic Party, seem determined to suggest that we are on the verge of catastrophe always, always and forever. The catastrophe is coming. It's always two weeks away. We're going to get to more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that being at home makes you remember all of the important things that you need to get done. And when you think about your business, there's just so many things to get done in such a volatile business climate. The last thing you need is to spend a fortune on your legal. You just don't need to spend hourly fees up the wazoo in order to make sure that your business is compliant with all laws and regulations, make sure that your contracts are in order or anything like that. Instead, head on over to LegalZoom. Maybe you've been wondering about the best way to protect your family or your business. Don't let legal questions hold you back. LegalZoom, they've been dedicated to helping you with the right solutions for more than 19 years. If you're looking to protect your family with a will or a living trust, or if you're thinking about the right way to start a business with a DBA, LLC, nonprofit, or more, LegalZoom has you covered. It's easy to get started online. If you need guidance, their network of attorneys can provide advice to ensure you make the right choices. Since LegalZoom isn't a law firm, you won't have to leave your home and you won't get charged by the hour. If you can get this stuff taken care of without dealing with a lawyer directly, I mean, that's a great thing. Who wants to deal with lawyers, man? Visit LegalZoom.com today to take care of some of the important things you need to get done. That is LegalZoom.com. LegalZoom, where life meets legal. Go check them out right now at LegalZoom.com. LegalZoom. Com. Okay, so there are a lot of people in the media and in the Democratic Party who do not want to acknowledge that there is some good news about COVID-19, which is why you see the media featuring idiots wandering around beaches in Mexico dressed up as the Grim Reaper. This one is going around thanks to the Agence France Press, the AFP. Yesterday, some moron who's walking around beaches in Mexico dressed up as the Grim Reaper, just like that crazy guy who's walking, that lawyer who's walking around in Florida dressed up as the Grim Reaper. I believe that guy was also attending social justice warrior protests. Okay, he's walking around to beaches with families socially distanced far away from other people and telling them they're going to die. He's telling them, don't go on vacation. Here I am. You're all going to die. And he says it's about raising awareness, urging people to wear a face mask. They're on the beach. They're on the beach. This dude has a better shot of being eaten by a shark 
or killed by a bystander than people have of dying from COVID on a sparsely populated beach. This guy was featured by Agence France Press. I mean, I'm sorry. This is just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like the doom and gloom is insane. That's not to say this isn't a dark period in American history. It certainly is. That's not to say that COVID-19 isn't risky. It certainly is. Okay, but can we like base this on the data at all? You know, without like the pictures of the Grim Reaper wandering around empty beaches in Mexico? It's absurd. Okay, but the Democrats think they have a talking point. And the talking point is that everything is terrible and Trump is ignoring it. Now, again, I've said before, and I got a little bit of flack for it. I've said the federal response on this thing has not been all that bad. It hasn't. The states got what they needed. Ask Cuomo. He got what he needed in terms of ventilators. They sent a Navy ship there that was barely used. California, Newsom has said the same thing. Inslee has said the same thing in Washington state. Whitmer said the same thing in Michigan. The federal government has ramped up testing to levels not seen by any country on earth on an absolute level. I mean, we're doing something like 700,000 tests a day in the United States. These are insane numbers of tests. And really, honestly, like a lot of that lies with the individual state and how that state is administered. We do have a federal system in the United States. Nonetheless, the idea here is that if everybody has a, a downcast view of the United States going into the election, then Trump is going to lose. It's, it's very difficult to separate how people are attempting to portray the current situation from politics because it is fairly obvious what Democrats in the media are attempting to do right here. So Joe Biden, for example, yesterday, he, he had himself a club that he could beat Trump with. So Trump did this interview with Axios' Jonathan Swan. It was not a good interview. And Trump was asked specifically about COVID-19 and he was asked about the death levels and he said it is what it is which is a a dumb political thing to say, but also happens to be kind of true. Namely, that he doesn't control COVID-19. You don't control COVID-19. Nobody controls COVID-19. That is not a lack of sympathy. That's a recognition that reality exists. But Joe Biden is like, you can't just say it is what it is. You have to say it is what it isn't. I mean, I, I guess that's the pitch. Here was Joe Biden going after Trump yesterday. I think it's under control. I'll tell you what. How? A thousand Americans are dying a day. They are dying. That's true. And you ha- it is what it is. It is what it is ad showing like people dead on gurneys saying it, it is, is what, what it, is. it is okay again a dumb political line by by president trump but again I, I don't what know what is. joe biden's alternative is okay well like what is joe biden's alternative it is what it isn't like people aren't dying i'm, I'm confused when, when trump says we have it under control we have it under control as much as it is possible to have a global pandemic under control does anyone have any recommendations they'd like to make other than a national mask mandate which is unconstitutional like well this is it's such obvious politicking. It's such obvious politicking. Then you have Bob Menendez, the senator from New Jersey, saying that Trump's abdication is the cruelest thing. Dude, your state, your state run by a garbage governor. The governor, Phil Murphy of New Jersey, has done a horrible job. Here's Bob Menendez saying that it's Trump's abdication that is the cruelest thing. Really, in your state, you shipped all the olds back into the, into the nursing homes with COVID. So uh, I'm going to go with your governor is a bleep show, Menendez. Democrats in the Senate have a sense of urgency. That's why two and a half months ago, Speaker Pelosi and Leader Schumer sent a letter to the president and to Senator McConnell saying, we're going to need more help for the American people. A national emergency requires a national response. Uh, But for two and a half months, we got crickets. We didn't hear anything. No response to that sense of urgency then. And now uh, we have uh, the lack of engagement, of a robust engagement that is necessary uh, to ultimately meet the challenge. I mean, look, uh, it's exemplified by their leader, President Trump, 
when he says it is what it is, that is the most cruel abdication of presidential leadership I've ever seen. No, it isn't. I'm sorry, it is not. When, when you say it is what it is, when people die of a disease that no one knows fully how to control, that is not an abdication of leadership. It's an abdication of leadership when your state is the hardest hit state by numbers in the United States. Death per million, New Jersey is number one. Number one. New York is number two. Okay, meanwhile, you've got idiot Chris Cuomo suggesting that President Trump is determined to keep his handicap, his golf handicap down rather than the deaths. I mean, this is all just propaganda at this point. It really is. Middle of a pandemic. And this president spent the weekend hitting golf balls and bragging about his large MAGA crowd turnouts and coronavirus hot zones. No masks. Big crowd. Buffetic. And the reality is, once again, the key is the we. It's the truth, my brothers and sisters. This man is determined to keep down his golf handicap, not the number of cases that are making us sick. Should we be pushing on Congress? Absolutely. But you know too many on the right are playing the game because they're afraid of him. Okay, I have a question. What, what, is, what does him golfing have to do with keeping down COVID? Like, do you want him to, like, I really don't think that Chris Cuomo wants Trump in the, in the hospitals actually caring for COVID patients. In fact, I think Chris Cuomo should probably stay in his basement when he has COVID as opposed to going to his second house when he has COVID or having his wife on social media talking about taking bleach baths. By the way, how ignorant is Chris Cuomo? Chris Cuomo is so ignorant that he got owned by a couple of New Jersey gym owners. There are a couple of gym owners in New Jersey who want to reopen their gym. Uh, these guys, you know, <laughs> I, I, I would hazard a guess to say they are not epidemiologists. They just own Chris Cuomo in this clip. It's amazing. I mean, they, they just start citing stats, pointing out that the people who are at risk of dying from COVID-19 are not generally young people going to gyms. And they say we are taking all the measures necessary. We're doing social distancing. And, uh, and Chris Cuomo just gets, I mean, he gets destroyed by a couple of gym owners from New Jersey. We have had 15,009 visits to our facility, zero positive cases, nobody sick. You're knocking Trump because of the total numbers. I'm not you knocking, knocking I'm not, Trump I'm because, knocking Trump because he's not doing, hold on. 53.3% of the deaths, 53.3% of the 0.6% of the population. Frank. Bottom line, that's a stat that nobody's talking about. Frank. It's like the flu. If you take that... If you take that 0.6% of the population that is responsible for 53.3% of the deaths, this is a mild flu. No, but there are a lot more cases, Frank. There are a lot more cases and people are getting more sick and different people are getting sick than get sick with the flu. And we're getting a lot of weird after effects with this. We've got to take it seriously, but that doesn't change the fact that you guys may be doing the right things to keep people safe. Okay, and, and Chris Cuomo has no comeback to that. I'm not ripping Trump because of anything. And then this guy's just citing stats all over him, and Cuomo has nothing. Because his entire propaganda appeal has been Trump is a bad orange man who's very bad in orange. My brother, who completely blew it in New York, is the greatest governor in the history of the world. And the, the, the political agenda is hard to miss here, guys. It really is. It really is. Now, in a second, we're going to get to how this ties into policy. Because it is fairly obvious that many Democrats are using COVID-19 as an opportunity, like Rahm Emanuel would say back during the Obama administration. We'll get to that momentarily. First, let's talk about the fact that going to an auto parts store right now might not be your cup of tea. In fact, going to an auto parts store ever, why would you do it? You're going to walk in. They're not going to have the part you need. They're going to have to order it online, or they're going to give you a generic part, or they're going to upcharge you because you're an amateur as opposed to a professional. Instead, head on over to rockauto.com. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear, like airlines do. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Like say you happen to need a Delphi FG1456 fuel pump assembly for a 2005 to 2010 Honda Odyssey. 
That'll cost you like 354 bucks at a big chain store. Well, at Rock Auto, that costs you 217. RockAuto.com. It's a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Head on over to RockAuto.com. Shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? That RockAuto.com catalog, it's unique. It's remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. The next time you need parts for your car, head on over to RockAuto.com. Write Shapiro in there. How did you hear about us, Box? When you buy your parts, to so go to rockauto.com so they know that we sent you. Go check them out right now, rockauto.com. Okay, so the policies now being pursued by Democrats have nothing to do with the data. I mean, truly nothing to do with the data. The, the idea here is that we are basically going to count on COVID-19 continuing to be bad all the way through the election so that we can blackmail the federal government into paying us off or so that we can take measures against other cities and pretend we did a good job or so that we can bash Trump. I mean, because there is a serious disconnect between reality and, and what exactly is being promulgated by various public officials. So yesterday, I want to correct an error I made on the show yesterday. I was talking about Bill de Blasio. The error is not that he is a giant weirdo who murders groundhogs and also happens to be a communist. That was not my error. That part's true. The part that I said that, that was wrong is I suggested he was going to shut down all indoor dining until June of next year. He said he was going to reopen the outdoor dining as of June of next year, but he's made no timeline commitment as to when he will open indoor dining. So the underlying message, which is he's never going to reopen indoor dining, I still think is kind of true. I, I, I see no indicator that Bill de Blasio is ever going to reopen anything. Like, I just think he's going to keep everything closed. But he did not overtly say he's going to keep the restaurants closed until June of 2021. Just want to correct the fact, the record on that when I make a mistake, I want to get it right. Bill de Blasio continues to be, however, a communist groundhog murderer. So yesterday, Bill de Blasio came out and he had a couple of policy suggestions. One, he now says that he's going to set up traveler registration checkpoints to enforce quarantine orders in which travelers from certain states will be required to fill out forms to support contact tracing efforts. Okay, so first of all, um, I'm old enough to remember when Chris Cuomo suggested it was, uncon Andrew Cuomo rather, suggested it was unconstitutional for other states to shut their doors to New York travelers. The ACLU sued and won on that basis. Second, if your contact tracing is so good in New York City right now that you can bar other travelers because everything is basically okay, then why haven't you opened up the businesses? Bill de Blasio. And the answer is because if you're a Democrat, you have no intent on ever opening up this stuff, at least not until a Democrat is in power. Right? Because right now you can just keep the businesses shut down and blame all of the Republicans in the federal government for all of your own failures. Bill de Blasio also threatened to lay off 22,000 workers if the feds don't give them a bailout. Right now, what a lot of Democratic mayors are doing is they are, they've cut crappy contracts with unions. They've done it for decades. They've blown out their own debt. And then on the basis of COVID, they're saying, you know what? Let's do a couple things. Let's raise taxes on our citizens again. And let's go to the federal government and demand that they give us money or blame the feds for our own crappy decision making. So basically, they are the, the Democrats in these major cities have become your kids with the car having crashed it into a lamppost. They, they crash the car into the lamppost. And then they suggest that if you don't come and pay for the cleanup bill, well, you don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they'll become a drug addict. You just don't know. You just don't know. So here's Bill de Blasio threatening that he's going to lay off 22,000 workers if the feds don't pay off his garbage policies. We need help. Let's be clear. The help we need uh, is to make sure we can keep all of our public services, whether you're talking about safety, health, education, they're all on the line now. If we do not get federal support soon, I'm very worried about these stimulus talks in Washington, Wolf, because they seem to be going nowhere fast. My challenge is, where am I going to have the people to do this work? Uh, I may have to do as many as layoffs of 22,000 city employees from every department 
by October 1st if I don't get federal help. Well, I have an idea. How about you just take all the money that you're not using on the schools because nobody's going to school in New York? I mean, it is amazing. We keep hearing that we need more money for the schools when the schools are shut down. You shut down the schools and then you're like, I need more money. Man, I'd love to apply that model to my own business. That sounds great. I will provide you zero shows next week and also pay me more money. How does that sound to you? Sound like a good deal? That's the way Democrats are now running their cities. And it's not just Bill de Blasio. Keisha Lance Bottoms, who's being considered for the vice presidential nomination by Joe Biden on the basis of her of watching her city burn to the ground over a, over a shooting that was actually good by the cops and having her cops walk off the job. She's, she's considered a candidate for VP because she checks the two boxes that Biden is looking for. She's black and she's a woman. He has overtly said this. Keisha Lance Bottoms said yesterday, closing the schools is the right choice. Based on what? Based on what data is closing the schools the right choice? People still have yet to cite any data suggesting closing the schools is the right choice. Here she is on CNN explaining she's going to keep the schools closed. I do believe that's the right choice for Atlanta public schools because we have some of the highest rates in the state right now. Just a couple of days ago, with our population just over 500,000, we represented about 44% of the infection rates in the state of Georgia. And given the prevalence of underlying health conditions throughout the Atlanta community, uh, we have a very large minority population in Atlanta. I do think that it was the right decision to go online and it gives the school system an opportunity to revisit um, how students will enter the classroom in nine weeks. Okay, so she wants to keep the schools closed. By the way, when I say the Rayshard Brooks shooting was good, I don't mean that it was good on like an existential level. I mean, it was a good legal shoot. Okay, a good legal shoot, meaning like when a cop shoots somebody, it's either a good shoot or a bad shoot. A bad shoot means it was illegal and they should go to jail. A good shoot, legally speaking, means that the person just is justified by law in having shot the person. Rayshard Brooks stole a taser off two cops. He then tased one of them. And as he was running away from the other cop, he tried to tase the other cop before he was shot. That was after resisting arrest. So that's what I mean by a good shoot, a good legal shoot. Okay, it doesn't mean good as like a, an Aristotelian good shoot or a morally good shoot. Okay, so in any case, one of the reasons the Democrats seem to be so reliant on COVID to justify their policies and blame Trump is because the big problem is twofold for them. One, they have a crappy candidate. Joe Biden is old. He is senile. He is not with it. I, I, mean, I think Joe Biden is just as eager as the rest of us to learn who his vice presidential pick is because I don't think that Joe Biden has a clue as to what is going on around him. So they're saddled with a candidate who is essentially dead, which when you're running against a volatile candidate like Donald Trump is not the end of the world. It's actually kind of good for you. But he's a crappy candidate on a raw level where he's running against somebody who is not Trump. Joe Biden would be in real trouble. There's a reason Joe Biden was a dramatic unsuccess in presidential politics about 97 straight times before this particular election. So they're saddled with that and they're saddled with their own radicalism, which we'll get to in just one second. So Good thing for them, they can still continue to exploit the narrative that America is about to be overwhelmed with COVID and we're all going to die again and watch out, death is, is lurking around the corner for you on the beaches of Mexico or some such. Okay, we're gonna get to more of this in just one second. First, I need to tell you about our most exclusive membership tier over at Daily Wire All Access. All Access membership features behind the scenes access to live streams and discussions with your podcast host, myself included, as well as early and sometimes exclusive access to new Daily Wire products. As part of that, we launched our brand new limited count collector's Edition baseball bat in collaboration with the pillbox bat company. Only 100 bats were made. They're engraved with the individual number in the order they were produced from one to 100. Now, guys, here's the crazy part. These bats were offered to our all access members only. They sold out in two days. So you can't get one of these anymore, which is very sad for you because you can't do the Julio Franco. You can't do the Mickey Tuttleton. You can't do the Chad Curtis. You can't do any of that stuff because you weren't fast enough. If you don't want to miss out on exclusive products and offers, you Yes, you. You should really join 
all access at The Daily Wire. You will also get exclusive access to live online discussions with our hosts, writers, and special guests, along with joining All Access Live. That's our exclusive live stream Q&As hosted every night. Lastly, you get not one but two Leftist Tears tumblers with your membership. So head on over to dailywire.com slash Shapiro right now to get 20% off all access with coupon code access. This is a limited time offer. So remember, dailywire.com slash Shapiro with coupon code access to get 20% off your membership. You are listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in America. So you may be saying to yourself that perhaps the perhaps the situation with Democrats basically trying to ignore all good news on COVID and pretend that, that the Southwest and that the, the South, Southern Belt, the, the Sun Belt is being overwhelmed and all this, that perhaps that is being overplayed. Like, why are they doing that? The reason they're doing that is, one, they have a bad candidate in Joe Biden, and two, that bad candidate is a shield for a far more radical Democratic Party. So let's start with Joe Biden, who is just a terrible, terrible candidate. So yesterday, Joe Biden was asked about the cognitive test. So he had said earlier that he's taken all sorts of cognitive tests, right? And then he was explicitly asked by Errol Barnett of CBS News whether he had, in fact, taken the same cognitive test that President Trump took. And he's like, no. And then he says to Errol Barnett, a black interviewer, he asked him whether he has taken a cocaine test, which let me just say, if Donald Trump asked a black interviewer whether they had recently taken a cocaine test, the suggestions of racism would be in the air immediately. But Joe Biden is allowed to get away with anything with that weird Cesar Romero Joker smile because he is a Democrat and Democrats are allowed to get away with everything, according to me. Here, here was Joe Biden being both senile and foolish. Have you taken a cognitive no, test? No, I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you, before you got in this program, if you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not, what do you think, huh? I am, uh, I am very willing to let the American public judge my physical and mental fit, my physical as well as my mental fit, fitness. Yeah, how's that going? How's that going? I'm, I'm fully willing to let the American public judge my fabric. Jacob Physical and mental health. So your narcoleptic Democratic candidate, um, he's he's got a problem on his hands. He's a bad candidate. So he has a couple of advantages. One is that Donald Trump is extraordinarily volatile and makes lots of boo-boos. And the second is the COVID situation. And so Democrats are playing both to the hilt. They have to do that because the truth is that their policies suck. Okay, what we've seen in major cities is they are, they're talking about defunding the police. They are, they are watching as crime rates skyrocket in major cities around the United States. Joe Biden is not going to stand in the way of any of that. There's tape of a Minneapolis business owner that was going a little viral yesterday talking about how they need more police in Minneapolis because this is insane. I mean, Minneapolis is being overrun by criminals because the city has basically decided to let the law abiding go by the wayside. In the night, it's no no security, sure. So there are a lot of people try to get in inside in the back. I still in things in the back, and, and we need more police. Okay, but no, no, no. That, that guy's probably, you can hear he has an accent. It's probably because he's like, he's internalized his whiteness. That's the reason that he's saying we need more police. By the way, Joe Biden trying to figure out who his VP candidate is going to be. And I think at, the, at this point, the front runner is pretty obviously Susan Rice. I think he hates Kamala Harris. I think Kamala Harris hates him. I think Kamala Harris, like, he better have a food taster if Kamala Harris is his vice president, is all I can say. I mean, this is going to be like Lenin and Stalin. Like, one day Joe Biden has her up to Camp David, and the next day they're wheeling him out on a gurney. Like, this is, <laughs> I, I do not trust Kamala Harris. Let's, let's put it that way. In any case, 
Susan Rice is extraordinarily radical. She's been able to get away with being extraordinarily radical because she hasn't really been in the public eye. She's been in the public eye for basically two things in her career. One was lying openly about Benghazi, suggesting that the Benghazi terror attack was not, in fact, a terror attack. It was a response to a YouTube video, which is insane. And second, Susan Rice is famous for having unmasked Michael Flynn. Right? She's famous for having been deep in the center of the entire effort to gin up the Trump-Russia collusion scandal. Those are her two claims to fame. And suddenly she's on the VP shortlist because she's a black woman, because too many folks in the Democratic Party halls of power have decided on an affirmative action program for the VP. They're not going to go with somebody that, that may be the best qualified. She's never held elective office, for example. They're not going to go with somebody who Biden is even most comfortable with. They have to have somebody who checks particular racial boxes. Here is Susan Rice. She is a radical. She's a very radical person on foreign policy. She's incredibly radical. She believes in in basically a Bernie Sanders foreign policy. Here she was yesterday on defunding the police, talking about taking money away from the cops. We have a long history of uh, inequality, of oppression that endures in this country. And we need the police to be part of the solution. In some instances, they are. In other communities, they're not. There's no one-size-fits-all approach. So I'm for reimagining the role of the police, getting them out of things like social work. I'm for responsible reallocation of resources where that makes sense to invest more in our communities and the health of uh, our citizens. Um, But it doesn't fit a one-size-fits-all approach. You can't just take money away uniformly and put it somewhere else or, or take it away altogether. I think we need to look at this community by community and be quite uh, thoughtful about okay, it. OK, that's a mealy mouthed way of saying, yes, she wants to take money away from the police. And she is she's on the, the mainstream Democratic side. The far left is grabbing control of this party. So Donald Trump said yesterday that Joe Biden is basically a puppet for the radical left. This is this is correct. It is true. I mean, Joe Biden is a puppet for the radical left, and he's going to have to answer some serious questions about dissociating from the radical left pretty soon. At some point, he's going to have to answer some questions. And that's when this race actually gets kind of interesting. Remember, we're still pretty early here. Here's President Trump going after Biden. He's against uh, that group. And it's not him. It's He's told what to do. He's a puppet for the for the radical left. Okay, so he is correct about this. And what is the radical left? Look, they're in the ascendance. They're in the ascendance. You can watch it happening in real time. AOC yesterday said about the Green New Deal that they have been moving through the Democratic halls of power and they are gaining support for their insane Green New Deal a program that would essentially bankrupt the entire Western world on the back of bad science. We've talked about AOC's insane Green New Deal, her, her suggestion that we get rid of airplanes and that we and that we all take trains for some reason and that we and that we retrofit every single house in the United States and that we stop using all carbon-based fossil fuels and all of this is nonsense. It's like serious, serious nonsense. But AOC was stumping for Ilhan Omar yesterday. Ilhan Omar, I believe, did win her primary. Rashida Tlaib also won her primary. AOC yesterday was was stumping for the Green New Deal. This lady is in the ascendancy in the Democratic Party. Oh, you introduced this sweeping legislation. Why didn't you pass it yet? And we're like, uh, we first of all, we've been here for five minutes. Second of all, even with, with resolutions like the Green New Deal or your housing resolution or lots of other big progressive resolutions, we've actually been creeping towards getting a majority of the Democratic caucus signed on board. And so a lot of people think that there's only like two people on the Green New Deal. Uh, no, there's over a hundred members signed on uh, of Congress signed on to the Green New Deal. And she's right about this. She's correct about this. She is the one who is now pushing forward the, the ship. OK, and, and good evidence that this is happening yesterday. A woman named Cori Bush, who is an extraordinarily radical leftist, is a person who, for example, openly supports boycott, divestment and sanctions from Israel. It's such a radical position that her Democratic competitor in this primary that she just won yesterday a guy named William Lacey Clay, who's been in Congress for like 20 years, 
He campaigned against her radicalism and he lost. According to the New York Times, Cori Bush, a progressive activist and leader of the swelling protest movement for racial justice, toppled Representative William Lacey Clay Jr. of Missouri in a Democratic primary on Tuesday, notching the latest in a stunning string of upsets against the party establishment. Bush, 44, had captured nearly 49% of the vote by late Tuesday evening, compared with 45.5% for Clay, according to the AP. She had tried and failed to unseat Clay in 2018. She lost by like 20 points. But this year, she wrote a surge in support for more liberal confrontational politics within the Democratic Party amid the coronavirus pandemic and the national outcry over festering racial inequities. Now, Bush wasn't running against like an older white guy like Elliot Engel in New York. She was running against one of the, like his father was one of the founders, William Lacey Clay. His father was one of the founders of the Congressional Black Caucus. It's a black man. Bush's victory, which came on the same night that Missouri voters decided to expand Medicare eligibility, was a significant milestone for insurgent progressive candidates and groups like the Justice Democrats, that's AOC's group, that have backed them across the country. It shows that the same brand of politics that has helped young liberal candidates of color unseat veteran party stalwarts in places like Massachusetts and New York could also resonate deep in the heartland against a black incumbent whose family has been synonymous with his district for decades. Well, first of all, trying to distinguish between like Massachusetts, between like Boston and New York City and St. Louis, that, that like, I'm sorry, but Pretending that urban areas of Missouri are exactly the same as like the rural heartland of Missouri. That's just, that's, that's a, it's a weird, weird line by the New York Times. Like the, try, try running Cory Bush in the middle of like heartland Missouri. And I, I don't mean like in the major cities. I mean like in rural areas, like forget it. Bush now joins figures like AOC who defeated 20-year veteran Representative Joseph Crowley in 2018 and Jamal Bowman who last month won a primary against Representative Elliot Engel. A single mother, former nurse and pastor, Bush would be the first black woman to represent the state of Missouri in Congress. The plurality of the district, which encompasses St. Louis and some of its innermost liberal suburbs, is African-American and considered safely democratic. I love that they're saying she's the first black woman to represent the state of Missouri. Yeah, she's representing a black guy. She's she's supplanting a black guy. So it's not like overcoming racism by supplanting a black guy with a black woman. Like, no. Tonight's Missouri first district has declared an incremental approach isn't going to work any longer, said Miss Bush. She said, we decided that we, the people, have the answers and we will lead from the front lines. Clay, who's the scion of a storied black Missouri political dynasty in his 10th term in Congress, tried to make the campaign a referendum not only on Bush's suitability, but also the progressive movement behind her. He carried out a series of dark personal attacks. By the way, all attacks on somebody's record are dark and personal if you're attacking a socialist, according to The New York Times. He described her as a prop of -of out-of-town interests seeking to divide the Democratic Party along racial lines. Clay highlighted his own ties to the Democratic power structure, He earned endorsements from Pelosi, Kamala Harris of California, and Planned Parenthood. The Justice Democrats won anyway. Clay was not in the moderate or progressive wings of the party. He supported Medicare for All and the Green New Deal. But he was was bashed anyway, and he lost his seat because he still was not radical enough. Bush built her campaign around her personal story as a working-class black woman pulled into public life after a white police officer shot and killed Michael Brown in 2014. She joined protesters in the day after the shooting and in the weeks and years that followed, became one of their leaders. She was a fixture of protests across the district this summer. And she drew a bright line from her experience confronting police on the streets, where Brown died to her victory at the ballot box. She said, I'll be holding every single one of the police officers accountable. So get ready. This is your new Democratic Party. Your new Democratic Party is, in fact, the AOC Democratic Party, and Joe Biden ain't going to hold these people back. He is not. He is not. So when the Trump's comms director calls Biden's policies a burning Biden communist manifesto, that is not incorrect. And now you know why the Democratic Party is so reliant on the anti-Trump and they cannot rely on their candidate. They also cannot rely on their record because they both suck. They can't rely on their platform. They can't rely on their, their own. They can't rely on their own body in Congress. And meanwhile, 
The culture wars continue a pace. Stupidest story of the day. A TCU football coach, uh, listen to the headline. Okay, the headline here does not match the story. And it is a perfect example of how dumb our moment is. Okay, this is the, this is the Washington Post. TCU football coach apologizes for using racial slur that is in any context un- unacceptable. So if you just read that headline, what you would assume from that headline is that the TCU football coach like used the N-word and, and directed it at a black player, right? That's what you would assume. So what actually happened? He was chiding a player for using the N-word and said, you can't say the bleep. He said, you can't say the word bleep. And now he's being raked over the coals for saying the word while explaining that you're not supposed to use the word. I am not kidding. That's how dumb we have become as a country. According to the Washington Post, TCU football coach Gary Patterson on Tuesday apologized for using a racial slur in an attempt to get a player to stop using the word. Patterson called his use of the slur unacceptable in any context. So you're not even, it's like Voldemort. If you say the word, trying to get people to not say the word, you have said the word, and thus you have sinned by trying to get people to not say the word. That's how dumb we have gotten in this country. He's taking the perspective that no one should say the word, but in order for us to know which word not to say, he says the word, and then everybody's like, how dare you say the word? It's unreal. Several players on Monday boycotted practice and met with Patterson to address the incident. Former defensive back Nico Small accused the coach of using the word in front of the team in a now-deleted tweet, according to the AP. Several teammates tweeted that Small had not included the context. They tweeted their own explanations and several skipped practice. Freshman linebacker Dylan Jordan tweeted Monday afternoon about an exchange with Patterson at practice on Sunday, an exchange in which he said Patterson told him to stop using the N-word in team meetings. As he did so, Patterson repeated the slur. According to Jordan, Patterson called him an effing brat. I'll send you back to Pitt during practice in reference to Jordan's hometown of Pittsburgh, Kansas. Jordan said he responded for what? I ain't did nothing. And Patterson said, you've been saying bleep in the meeting room. Okay, so he's saying, don't say that. That's a bad thing to say in the meeting room. Stop doing it. It's immature. And so now he's the one being raked over the coals. Man, if you want to talk about, if you want to talk about the injustices of identity politics, you got a player who's black who says the N-word. The coach who's white says, you know what? I don't want that word used around here. Don't use the N-word. And he says the N-word to say, don't use it. And now the coach is the one on the hot seat. Insane. Insane. Patterson is the winningest coach in TCU history. He tweeted Tuesday morning, he had met with seniors and leadership council members to discuss how we move forward as a team together. Absolutely crazy. Absolutely nuts. Just ridiculous. That's not the only ridiculous story of the day along these lines, by the way. Uh, I enjoyed Oprah Winfrey explaining that whiteness gives you privilege no matter what. She's only the richest black woman on planet Earth. She, she rose up from extraordinarily impoverished circumstances to become maybe the richest woman on planet Earth. And she's talking about whiteness always gives you privilege. I'd love to know all those white people in Appalachia looking at, at Oprah Winfrey and thinking, man, man, I wish I didn't have this, you know, my privilege here. I just feel privileged looking at Oprah Winfrey, who owns like the entire island of Maui. Here is Oprah Winfrey talking about how whiteness is always a privilege, even if you're Oprah Winfrey. The reason why I adore Manuel so much is because he is speaking to people's hearts and understands that it really is a heart issue. And you all are the ones who are gonna be able to change the way your friends, your colleagues, your white family members begin to see racial injustice and racial inequities in this country. That's where it happens. It's gonna happen at your kitchen table and in your living rooms and in your soccer games and that's where it's gonna happen. And your ability to have that influence wherever you are and to speak up wherever you are to share your heart. I think that's how we bring bring about change. And she said, you still have your whiteness. That's what the term white privilege is. It means whiteness still gives you an advantage no matter what. 
No matter what. Really, no matter what, Oprah Winfrey? Really? This is the dumb world we now inhabit. All righty, we'll be back here later today with two additional hours of content. In the meantime, go pick up a copy of my brand new best-selling book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps, which details the conflict of visions we are currently watching in the streets. In the meantime, have yourself a wonderful day. We'll see you here a little bit later. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling, assistant director Pavel Wydowski, technical producer Austin Stevens, playback and media operated by Nick Sheehan, associate producer Katie Swinnerton, edited by Adam Saievitz, Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.